It's time for Lawyers for Jesus, a show about the dynamic and exciting interaction of faith and the law, featuring the attorneys from the law firm Malkin Baker in downtown Chicago. Malkin Baker is nationally known for defending freedom and for serving the people of faith. And now, Lawyers for Jesus. Hello, welcome to Lawyers for Jesus. I'm Terry Liu, an attorney at the law firm of Malkin Baker in Chicago. We are Christian attorneys who focus on serving the body of Christ with its legal needs. To learn more about us, go to mockbaker.com. That's M-A-U-C-K-B-A-K-E-R.com. Or give us a call at 312-726-1243. As Christians, we often focus on the gentle and tender heart of Jesus. But what made Jesus mad? And how can we learn from his anger? Today, I will be speaking with Tim Harlow, the senior pastor at Parkview Christian Church a multi-site church in the south suburbs of Chicago dedicated to bringing people back to God. Pastor Tim is the author of What Made Jesus Mad, a timely book in which people can rediscover the blunt, sarcastic, and passionate Savior of the Bible. Pastor Tim, welcome to Lawyers for Jesus. Thanks for having me, Terry. Pleasure to be here. Yeah. No, we're glad you can join us. Um, So to build a little bit of framework here, um, we definitely want to hear about what what made Jesus mad, but... But as an even preliminary step, I recently had a conversation with someone who was <laughs> sharing that uh, for him, emotions you know, are kind of an uncomfortable topic. Um, he prefers to deal in reason and logic. And, and even the idea that Jesus had emotions, engaged with those emotions, uh, makes him uncomfortable. And, and so can you share a little bit about why it's important to to understand and recognize that Jesus had emotions and to not sort of sweep that aspect of his personality and his ministry under the rug? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a great question. Um, I mean, everybody has a different slant on how they live their life. And some of us are obviously more emotional than others of us are. And we can put the stereotypes on the males and the females and, you know, do all those kinds of things. But if Jesus was fully human, we have to examine what fully human feels like and, and means. And, you know, I mean, we're uh, you know, at Christmas time, we're going to, you know, we talk about the the baby born in a manger. Well, did he have dirty diapers? Did he, you know, mm. did he, did he, did he cry um, when he was hungry? Mm. Did he grow up and have pimples? Did he, did he have a crush on a girl? I mean, all those things are, are important. We, we don't know anything about that middle period, you know, other than the, the 12 year old deal that happened. So it's hard for us to know, but very, very easily we can look at how Jesus lived his life and understand that fully human meant um, being happy, being sad, you know, Jesus wept, um, mm-hmm. and, and being angry. Uh, he threw people out of the temple. So uh, I think it helps us to balance things out. No matter how emotional we might be, we need to look at what, what that looked like in Jesus' life, because I think our emotions tell a lot about our values. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think there's a tendency maybe sometimes to view Jesus as like a professor, you know, as yeah. someone who primarily is communicating information. Um, but his interactions with people as recorded in the Bible, you know, they go beyond sort of these prepared statements. You know, it's not Sermon on the Mount <laughs> every time he's interacting with people. Um, no, exactly. Yeah, I, yeah and so, uh, you know, in addressing a, a very specific emotion and maybe an emotion that it's particularly difficult for us to recognize in Jesus. You know, like I think about sadness, I think about happiness, and, and maybe it, it's easy to recognize how Jesus can, can 
engage those emotions in, in a way that doesn't offend our sensibilities. But anger is a little bit different, right? I mean, do, do, mm-hmm. do you see the difference in anger as opposed to, say, other emotions and how difficult well, it is I- to reconcile that with Jesus? Uh, yeah, sure, I do. And and we do that because, I mean, if you think about it, God was angry in the Old Testament. It says that. Paul says, in your anger, do not sin. He doesn't say, don't be angry. So there's a there's a human emotion that's going to happen. Uh, anger is, you know, I mean, what we do with it is what the problem is. It's not, it's not the emotion itself. So, uh, you know, the premise of the book was if, if something made, uh, you know, I start with a story about my dad, uh, that, you know, there was a name I called my dad one time and I didn't realize how much he didn't like it. And, uh, you know, from that point on, I never called him that name ever again, because, you know, I realized mm-hmm. out of the anger, uh, you know, there's, there's a, there's a deep seated something. We all have things that we get angry about and we all have things that other people get angry about and we're like, man, I don't know what your problem is. So mm-hmm. it tells a lot about the personality of the person. And, and, and we, and we pass over, I, I guess, you know, part of the reason I, I, I started feeling like I needed to write this is you just read through the red letters and you realize how many, you know, how many woes are in there, how many mm-hmm. names Jesus calls people, you know, and, and, and I think what, what prompted it mostly was I, I've always put the Pharisees in this and the Sadducees over in this other category of, uh, you know, those silly religious leaders. And then one day I thought, you know what, they were the God-ordained religious leaders of his day. They were God's church leaders of his day. And who am I now? I mean, you know, I, I am one of God's church leaders of today. Mm-hmm. So maybe I had to uh, turn this around and, and take an introspective look at what it was that caused Jesus to get upset. Yeah, and and even in your book, you talk about the the huge difference it can make to to think about perhaps Jesus' statements as not just sort of bemused, light scolding versus you know real outbursts of emotion uh, meant to communicate something really important about his heart and God's heart. Um, but we'll go back to that in just a second. You're listening to Lawyers for Jesus. I'm Terry Liu of the law firm of Mock and Baker. If you miss part of this show or want to hear other Lawyers for Jesus interviews, visit mockbaker.com. You can also subscribe to our Religious Liberty newsletter and follow us on Facebook and Twitter for legal updates with a biblical perspective. Today, we've been speaking with Tim Harlow, senior pastor at Parkview Christian Church, about how to reconcile the idea that, that Jesus, who is so patient, so gentle, so compassionate, yet at times uh, displayed anger. Um, and so, so Tim, help us to, to recognize, you know, what, what kinds of things are communicated um, by these moments where Jesus, despite his gentleness, his patience, um, his peace, his joy, is demonstrating anger? What are sort of the, some of the big points that, that, drew, that your attention is drawn to in those particular moments? Yeah, I, I took the time to sit down, Terry, and just kind of categorize, uh, you know, what what the what the things were that made him upset, and you know, it's my list. Somebody else can disagree, but it was hypocrisy, judgmentalism, legalism, and indifference to need. Those were the times that I saw Jesus getting angry, and almost all those times. I mean, one of them was his disciples, but almost all those times, it was against the religious leaders of the day. So. 
what was behind those issues. Are those issues things that we're still struggling with as a church today? I would say absolutely, maybe even more mm-hmm. than, than in Jesus' day. And, and then, mm-hmm. you know, more importantly, what was the crux of the problem? What was it that was behind this issue? Why did he throw the, the money changers out of the temple? Why did he get angry and, and, and threaten that you'd be better off thrown into the sea with a big rock tied around your neck? I mean, that's a statement from Jesus, not the Sopranos, you know? So you've got you to gotta figure out what is it that, that that comes from, and where does that deep-seated thing come from? And for me, it, it feels like the, the one unifying factor is blocking access to God, that by their hypocrisy, they were blocking access to God, that, they, that literally in the temple, they're blocking access for the Gentiles to get to God, that, that all of the legalism and adding the rules and making twice the sons of hell that they were was about blocking access to God, healing on the Sabbath. He got in, you know, indignant. And what was that all about? Well, the rules were, you know, were more important. And, um, and don't, don't hinder the children like let them come to me. And he got mad about that because he wanted the people that were the farthest from God to get to his father, because that's why he Mm. came. And Mm. I I see us still doing it today. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, so you mentioned earlier um, that, that it's not necessarily the anger that's the issue, but sort of what we do with it. Um, Were there insights you could draw from, from how Christ uh, expressed the anger or how, what he did with it? That, that might be different from how we might normally engage with that emotion? That's a fantastic question, because I've done other interviews and had some conversations with people who are like, well, yeah, righteous anger, man. We need to, we need to have righteous anger. And, um, you know, and what that, the code for that usually is in Christian circles is there's bad stuff going on in the world, and we need to be against it. And uh, I, I agree with that, but if you process what Jesus was doing, he only had righteous anger against people who had righteous anger. Mm-hmm. And you think about that for a little bit, you know, I mean, it's the people who are defending, they think they're defending God by adding rules to the Torah. They think they're defending God by not allowing the little children to come. They think they're defending God by not worrying about the all nations part of the temple. And in doing so, they're, that's their righteous anger, that they have legitimate righteous reasons for why they feel the way that they feel, those are the people that Jesus was mad at. Jesus was never mad at the people on the outside. I mean, I Mm. can't find a time. As a matter of fact, he got chastised for hanging out with the tax collectors and the sinners and the prostitutes. And I don't read a time where he got mad at them. And somehow, um, you know, we've kind of flipped that around. And when we flip that around, then we're back in the same category as, as the Pharisees. Hmm. Yeah. 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 Like Jesus is criticized for, you know, does he not understand the, the kind of people that he's spending all his time? Right. With? Right. Um, yeah. Hmm. Very interesting. And his answer is, yeah, I do. Those are the people I came for. Right. Yeah. Wow. That is a really challenging reminder. Uh, but yeah, an important thing for us to recognize is the present day church. Coming up, we will talk further with Tim Harlow senior pastor at Parkview Christian Church about his book, What Made Jesus Mad. If you'd like to contact us at Mock and Baker, call us at 312-726-1243 or visit us at mockbaker.com. I'm Terry Liu, and this is Lawyers for Jesus.
Welcome back to Lawyers for Jesus. I'm Terry Liu, an attorney at Mock and Baker, a law firm based in Chicago, which serves churches, ministries, businesses, and individuals with their legal needs. If you missed the first part of this show and want to listen online, go to mockbaker.com forward slash radio. Today, we've been speaking with Tim Harlow, senior pastor at Parkview Christian Church and author of What Made Jesus Mad about Jesus's response to uh, the blocking of access um, by people who, who are, I suppose, who are meant to engage in the access, uh, in the act of welcoming and ushering people into God's presence, but for various reasons um, have kept people on the margins. Um, and so, Tim, you mentioned this idea of, of access as sort of a theme, that as you're reading through these stories um, that reflect Jesus's anger, um, that he's often, if not perhaps entirely addressing this, this question of restricted access to God. Um, yeah. And so, and you mentioned that, that we perhaps engage in many of those same restrictive activities today. Um, you know, how has your church sort of internalized or expressed this desire to to lower these restrictions to access or to be more welcoming to those on the outside? That's a that's a great way you ask the question too, Terry. Because when you lower, you know, the threshold, whatever, um, then you come under fire from other believers, other Christians who are like, well, yeah, but you know. They, 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 they need to do this. They need to do that. I mean, it's, 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 um, it's something that's super simple for us. Um, we stopped, uh, you know, I, I stopped dressing up, started preaching in jeans, just like everybody these days, but we did it a long time ago. We started letting people bring, I, I, I promise you, letting people bring coffee into the, into the worship service is probably the, the most unifying thing we've ever done to lower the threshold for people to come in. But, uh, you know, the, the preaching style right now, I'm preaching some Christmas stuff and I'm using Christmas movies. I, I preached, uh, from the Charlie Brown movie last weekend. Uh, everybody knows the Charlie Brown Christmas story. Charles Schultz was a Christian. It's a, you know, Luke two's in there. It's all, it's all great. Um, but but we do those kinds of things to try to meet the the culture where it is. Just frankly, like Jesus did um, when he told stories, you know, and illustrated things with stories and used the common language, Greek language that the people were using. Uh, it, it's it's not brain surgery. A lot of churches are doing it now, but um, it, it's been it's been a core value for us for a long time. Mm. And so, as you've engaged in this this intentional work of of lowering the barriers, um, you know how have you observed that impact and sort of change the the atmosphere at your church or how people are engaging with one another? It's been it's been so long that I don't think we notice it that much anymore. I mean, our mm-hmm. our churches is fairly multi-ethnic way more than our community it is you know people are going to look around and they're going to they're going to see a, a lot of southsiders and and we look a lot differently and uh, you know i think i think it's reflected in the fact that more and more of them keep coming you know we're multi-campus at this point it's reflected in our, our christmas eve where we have three times 
our normal weekend attendance for our Christmas Eve services because everybody's looking for, you know, a Christmas Eve service and they want something that's fun. Um, but when people walk in, they feel welcome. Um, you know, it's a big, uh, the one campus is a pretty big place and they have to get through that, but, but they, they know they're welcome. They look around, they see other people that look like them. We try to diffuse the Christian talk and all that stuff along the way. And, mm. um, and we, and we do what we can. And then, and then as we work with them in the disciples, journey it's the same thing it's messy um it's it's organized as much as possible it's still messy mm. yeah so uh i, I co-lead with my wife a, a small group at our church that that is a bible study but instead of meeting in someone's home we, we meet in a starbucks in a target connected to a red line station <laughs> and uh messiness is often the word that i use to describe that situation there are often a lot of other people in the area uh, so there are sometimes people arguing um there are uh homeless people there who are, are just finding a place where they can sit and be warm um there are often people you know listening to music or watching videos without headphones. And, and there have been multiple times where because we, we choose to be there, that people have joined us, um, they've overheard what we've talked about, uh, they've come and asked questions, they've asked for prayer. Um, and so how, but it's uncomfortable. And, and right. so how, right. do you, how do you guide people through the discomfort of the messiness I'm going to say something that'll sound a little sacrilegious, but um, let's go with it. I think that it's more important that the people around you get an opportunity to see a little bit of Jesus in a, in a group of people that are sitting in a Starbucks than it is for you to better understand the book of Ephesians or whatever it is that you're going through. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not minimizing the importance of the word. Don't understand that that way. I'm just saying that in God's picture, and, and here's the thing, Terry, we've got to look at this from God's perspective, not ours. If I'm God and I've got lost children, then I understand why Jesus was mad if they were blocking access for the all nations part of the temple. I get that. If I'm God, if I'm seeing through God's perspective, God wants you to understand the book of Ephesians or whatever it is that you're, that you're doing there. And he loves the commonality and the, and the, and the community the, the you know, the ecclesia that you're experiencing, but his heart is still for those homeless people that are watching mm. from the outside or that mm. guy that's watching YouTube videos that sees you out of the corner of his eye that might mm. come back in someday and go, hey, you know what? I got a problem. I need Jesus. That's exactly mm. what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. You're listening to Lawyers for Jesus. I'm Terry Liu of the law firm Mock and Baker. We're talking to Tim Harlow, senior pastor at Parkview Christian Church, about the importance of uh, engaging with people. Um, who otherwise might not have access or might not feel that they have access uh, to God and, and to, to community, really. Um, and so, uh, Tim, have, have you uh, ever been approached by anyone who's sort of communicated this idea that, that they didn't realize or didn't feel welcome, but, but because of the, the intentional uh, things you've done at your church to welcome and lower barriers, that that has had an impact on their ability to feel welcome? Well, we've baptized over 9,000 people during wow. the, my 30 years here, and that's almost universally the story. I mean, I can tell wow. you that. It's just, 
it's just over and over again. And, and, you know, I mean, we talk about the unchurch. I think in, in our area, it's more about the de-church. They've got a church background, and they're looking for something. But as soon as you asked that question, I remembered one guy who came up to me and literally said, I had my church asked me to stop coming. Like, they literally asked me to stop coming because I was making them so uncomfortable. And you, and I baptized, you know, I, I, he was, he was here uh, two weeks and, and we baptized him and, you know, he's, he's on the front row, you know, yelling, <laughs> amen. And Hey, Timmy and stuff like that. Every time, every time he's in the uh, service and, and mm-hmm. I couldn't, I couldn't love it anymore. I mean, that's an extreme example, but when I think about how many people's families were, you know, uh, were, were, were cut off from their churches because their parents were divorced or something happened in their life or they had a bad church experience, what, you know, you name it. That's our entire congregation. And I hear that story. Mm. I heard it last night, Terry. I, I really wow. did. I mean, it, it, it happens every week and, and I love it. I, I, mm. I think that's why God put me here. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, so I, I recently met, um, a former gang member in, and I invited him to church, and he seemed really excited uh, to receive just a simple personal invitation. And there's another church very close to my church. Uh, it's it's near the same corner. And and if you had asked me, you know, is, is he coming to church on Sunday? You know, I would have told you 100%. Uh, no question. But I didn't see him, and I wasn't sure, you know, if something had happened to him. Um, and then I ended up running into him again pretty miraculously. I won't share that story now, but uh, just a week ago. And he told me that he, he went into the church on the corner, looked around, didn't see me. And then so, you know, didn't feel particularly welcome and then turned mm-hmm. and left. Um, but because we were all able to run into one another again, um, you, you know, he, he came to church this past Sunday for the first time, um, said that, again, that personal invitation was so meaningful, um, ran, uh, saw someone else that he recognized and and this idea that, um, you know, I, churches often sort of naturally believe that, that they are welcoming and that, you know, anyone can walk in. Um, but, but perhaps there are barriers that we don't recognize for the person who's never visited before, for the person yeah. who doesn't know anyone. Um, and then putting in the energy and the intention into to, to wanting to, to remove those barriers. It seems so powerful and yet so simple. And, and making the 99 feel uncomfortable. I mean, you got to remember that Jesus, you know, Luke 15, the shepherd went after the one lost sheep. The thing that people don't notice is that the, he left the 99 sheep in the open field, which meant right. they were in danger. They were uncomfortable. And boy, mm-hmm. have I fought that battle here for 30 years. <laughs> Yeah, well, we thank you for fighting that battle. Pastor Tim, thank you for speaking with us today. How can people get a hold of your book? Um, it's really everywhere, believe it or not. HarperCollins did a good job. It's on Amazon, any any books, any Christian bookstore. WhatMadeJesusMadBook.com is uh, an easy website, but um, or hit us up at ParkviewChurch.com. Thank you. If you have a legal need or a question and want the perspective of a local Christian attorney, contact us at Mock and Baker. You can reach us at 312-726-1243 or at mockbaker.com. That's M-A-U-C-K-B-A-K-E-R.com. Visit our website to subscribe to our Religious Liberty newsletter with legal updates or call us and mention Lawyers for Jesus. 
Thanks for listening. I'm Terry Liu, attorney at Mock and Baker, and this is Lawyers for Jesus. Gonna have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're gonna have to serve somebody.